0: Welcome to Southern Grace Church, Parramatta. We um, are a church that's passionate about knowing, applying and proclaiming the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about Him and what He's done for us and what he's doing in the world. Um, and we believe that by preaching the Bible, which is the Word of God, um, it will change our life and it will change your life. So whether you're coming as someone who's already a follower of Jesus and just checking out our church, or you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or or you used to and you're just coming back, as we preach the Bible, um, it's God's word to you, um, and he's speaking to you this morning. So come with a humble and ready heart to receive, hear, dialogue and question with, and figure out what God wants to tell you this morning. We've been going through a series in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the churches who were in Ephesus, which is modern day Turkey. We're right near the end of that series. Um, And what we've found in this series is that God has an incredible plan for all of humanity. Um, He planned it in eternity. He brought it about through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he wants to see that plan enacted through the local church, starting and spreading um, and extending his kingdom all throughout the world. Um, And that's what we've been seeing in this glorious book. And as we come to the end of Ephesians, what Paul does is he re summarizes the entire argument of Ephesians and puts it into warfare language. So he calls the Ephesians, you know, through this glorious passage of what God's done for you and then what you're to do in response. And he ends it by saying, all of this is in the context of war. We don't live in a neutral world. We don't live in a peaceful world. We actually live in a world um, where there's spiritual forces that are trying to disrupt and destroy all that God is doing. And so he commands and commands the Ephesian church to rise up and to fight with the strength that God has given them so that they will not be deceived and destroyed and distracted by Satan. And so let us take up the word of God, the sword, as we're going to see later on, um, and let us read the Bible and see what the Lord has to say to us. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17. Actually, I might just start in verse 10, to be honest, um, and we'll recap a little bit of what we did last week. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It'll be on the screen, except verse 10 to 13 won't be because I didn't tell CJ to do that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God and heavenly father, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would react if you found out that there was a plot from local criminals to rob your house or the apartment that you live in. Say somehow you found out through a neighbor or through, you know, some means that there was actually a legitimate plot by local criminals to come in and loot your house, to steal your belongings, to ransack the place and take everything you had. What would would you do to protect yourselves against the robbers, against the thieves? You know, you might do various things. You might go down to Bunnings and buy some security cameras. You might, you know, find out a way to set up an alarm system really quickly. You'd probably leave on all the lights that night. You might even board up the windows somehow. You'd lock every door. You might even leave the radio on so that it sounds like you're awake and up. You'd probably find some kind of weapon to arm yourselves, right? You might get a baseball bat. Well, you probably don't have a baseball bat. A cricket bat, more likely. Um, you'd, you'd, you might even call some friends and be like, hey, 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 come over. Let's hang out. Apparently, people are coming to rob my place tonight. I need some protection. I need some help. Uh, and you'd probably stay up all night waiting, vigilant, watching. You know, all those things would be reasonable. They'd be um smart things to do to protect yourself if there was a real threat that your house could be robbed. But one of the things that wouldn't work, one of the strategies that wouldn't work to protect your house would be to say something like, what, in Northmead? No, houses don't get robbed in Northmead. You know, it's a nice, peaceful suburb. You know, people don't come in and rob places here. I don't think that's true. And so you go to bed that night and you wake up and your TV and your laptops and your phones and your wallets and your car are stolen. You see, not believing in the enemy, not believing in the themes is no defense mechanism against their strategies and attacks. So when a credible threat is launched against your home or your family, the reasonable thing to do is to take a defensive position is to get all you can to protect yourselves from the enemy. Not to disbelieve in their existence and hope for the best. But sadly, all too often for us in the Christian church, we take up that latter attitude towards the devil and his minions with their plans to attack our lives and our church and our friends and our family. We think, oh, you know, I I believe there's a devil, but... Is he really going to attack us? Is he really going to have an influence on our house and our church and our family? And so we kind of start to disbelieve. You know, we know he exists, but we don't really think he's a credible threat. And so as a result, we go to bed and we wake up and all of our stuff is gone. And we're wondering, how did that happen? 1 Peter 5 verse 8, shocks us out of our complacency, you know, because we we are so prosperous. We have religious freedom. We have a lot of wealth and a lot of comforts. And so it can lead us to think we're in a peace time mentality. But the Bible never gives us this attitude that we're in peace. In fact, it tells us that we're in war and constant threat is around us. The apostle Peter says this in one Peter chapter five, verse eight, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter gives us this image that there's a threat. Someone is out there trying to rob your house. Be sober minded, be watchful, be on the lookout, because this threat is a lion who is seeking someone to devour. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. I love this quote in his sermon on spiritual warfare. There is no believer in Christ, no follower of that which is true and lovely and of good repute, who will not find himself at some season or other attacked by this foul fiend and the legions enlisted in his service behold your adversary though you cannot see his face and detect his form believe that such a foe withstands you as we saw last week brothers and sisters we have an enemy a real enemy a real foe it's not a made-up idea um, it's not just medieval superstition. Satan is a real being and he's out there to attack us. Whether or not he attacks us today or tomorrow or in a month's time, we don't know. But we do know that he is out there seeking someone to devour. The threat is real, the possibility of loss is real. He's not a toothless tiger, he's a roaring lion, a sneaky snake, and he hates God's children. So what does Paul give us? What does he say to the Ephesians in light of this? How can we protect ourselves? If we know a burglar is coming to try and rob our spiritual house, so to speak, what do we do? We'll read verse 11 with me again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, Paul gives us this command and this grace from God. The devil really does want to scheme against us. This is no lie. But we have every resource that we need. We have the armor. We have the alarms. We have the security system. We have the protection that we need. But all we need to do is put it on not leave it in the closet and so the main point of today's message is this it's pretty similar to last week but the main point i want us to get through today is this in the middle of this dangerous spiritual war we need to stand and put on our spiritual armor so that we can fight and win In the middle of this dangerous spiritual war, we need to stand and put on our spiritual armor so that we can fight and win. This is spiritual warfare part two, put on your armor. That's the title of today's message. You see, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is going to outline six different pieces of armor that Christians have to wear. Um, They're all different things that he's already mentioned throughout the book of Ephesians, but he's putting it together and weaponizing it in this military metaphor. Uh, The armor of God is actually a metaphor that goes back into the book of Isaiah, where God is depicted as a divine warrior coming in and fighting for his people, wearing the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. Um, In Isaiah chapter 11, the Messiah comes wearing with truth around his waist And, um, you know, in Isaiah 52, the Messiah comes or the the good news bearers come with the gospel of peace on their feet. So this image that Paul brings up in Ephesians 6 is an Old Testament image. But he's also using a first century image as well, that of the Roman soldier. You see, Paul is writing this letter from chains, um, most likely he's actually in prison. He's a prisoner for Christ. And most likely he's being overwatched by a Roman soldier who is probably wearing the various elements listed in this passage about spiritual armor. He's got a belt, he's got a breastplate, he's got a helmet, he's got the shoes, he's got a sword, he's got a shield. Um, And so Paul is drawing on these two images to take this whole book of Ephesians and bring it to its climax and its summation point. To modernize it, I think to kind of give it a modern picture um, as I was looking at the news this week and looking at the riot police in America, I thought that's a pretty good picture of what it what it would have looked like if you were to take a modern spin on the spiritual armor you've got these riot police officers with you know um, bulletproof vests, big shields, a helmet with a visor they've got feet with um, shin pads and protective gear over there um, everywhere they've got these big belts on to carry their mace spray and their pepper spray and and you've got the crowds of angry protesters coming against them, and they stand together in these shields and these battle formations. Now, whatever you think politically about what's happening, it's a good image for what is going on in this passage. The need for head-to-toe protection against various assaults and various things that can come against us from the enemy. But when we talk about the armor of God, it's something that, you know, we've, You know, you sing it in kids' songs and it's sort of something that is spoken about a lot. And I'll admit, I think it can feel pretty, um, a bit abstract and a little bit underwhelming. You know, so you talk about like Satan is a roaring lion. He's a deceiver. He's a spiritual being with incredible power. And then we're told to kind of put on these spiritual pieces of armor, you know, and we're physical beings and so we're kind of like, I want a physical thing to put on that would make me feel safer. And so the spiritual armor can feel a little bit abstract, even a little bit like, maybe not useless, but a bit like, oh, what do I do? How do I put this thing on? And, um, you know, you could be like, oh, you know, where's my helmet of salvation? You know, oh, no, I left it at a church. Now, you know, I don't have a helmet of salvation this week. And, and like, how does this all work? It can be a bit confusing, the whole spiritual armor. But let me assure you, once we're we're through this passage, uh, once we go through it, you'll actually see just how practical and real world applicable these pieces of armour are. You see, God doesn't give us a bunch of magical spells to cast against Satan. You see, the spiritual armour doesn't work like this. You don't just wake up in the morning and say, breastplate of righteousness. And then spiritually, the breastplate of righteousness is there. Belt of truth. And then the belt of truth comes on. It's not a magic spell. This isn't like, you know, some form of, you know, witchcraft. We're going to see as we go through this passage that the the spiritual armor are characteristics that we have to put on. It's it's godliness and virtue that protects us from the evil one. In fact, it's the same language as in chapter four. Put on the new self. Put off the old self. Put on the spiritual armor. So we can't fight Satan with just saying the words, helmet of salvation. We actually have to adopt all the qualities that these verses represent. So that's a little bit of a background to where this passage is going. I originally wrote this sermon to be one sermon with six points, um, but I gave up on that this morning and I've halved it. So hopefully um, it will be a little bit clearer and we'll just do the other half of the spiritual armor next week so that we can dive down deep into these passages. So as we come, as we have this, you know, dangerous spiritual war about us, we need to stand and put on this spiritual armor so that we can fight and we can win. And I want us to see that this is God's grace to us. He hasn't left us unprotected. Each one of us can be protected and safe and can stand because we have this armor. So three points today, very simple put on the belt of truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness and put on the gospel boots of peace. Let's go into point number one, put on the belt of truth. And I just need to grab a drink of water. Read with me verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You see, Paul's language here, he reiterates that same command that's been expressed three times in verses 10 through 13 about standing firm and strong against the enemy. And now he turns it into a command. Christian brother or sister, we are called to Stand. We don't have an option to lie down. We don't have an option to retreat. We don't have an option to flee. We are called to stand. That is the posture of the Christian in warfare is to stand. And what do we do? We stand putting on the armor. And what are those pieces of armor? Well, the first one is the belt of truth. You see, the Roman soldier um, would wear a tunic. And then when they would go to war, when they were getting ready for war, they would get a big leather belt and then wrap it around their tunic. and then they'd actually tuck the, the hem of their robe up into their tunic so that when they were running, they weren't tripping over their dress sort of thing, which would be a very embarrassing way to die, if you're a Roman soldier, is to trip, fall over with your dress above your head. And so you had this belt on, um, and it kind of brought this, you know, like those weight bands that people wear, and it kind of provides strength to your core. And then they could put their sword in their belt and everything like that. So you've got this image, Paul saying, the first thing that Christians need to do is you put on, you strap on this belt of truth. Um, it's, it's to tuck the tunic in so there'll be no tripping and it's to give central strength to your core being. And for the Christian, what Paul is saying here is a fundamental and first port of call for our strength in this spiritual war, we need truth. Brian Borgman and Rob Ventura said like this, the truth is our first line of spiritual defense against the devil. You see, Satan, as we saw last week, his main strategy His main way that he attacks us is not through possessing people or horror movies or spooking you out or being scary. The main way he will attack you and I today or tomorrow or in a week's time is through lies and deception. And so the fundamental thing we need to fight against lies is truth, which is why it's the first piece of armour listed here by Paul. You see, Satan attacks us by attacking the truth. Therefore, in the spiritual war, right fighting begins with right thinking. In this spiritual war, right fighting begins with right thinking. Think of it like this. So if Satan's trying to attack us, he's going to try and sow seeds of lies, doubt, and deception into our life. It's like we're in a boat. So we're trying to, excuse me, we're trying to float along in this world and we're trying to get through, say we're on a boat on our way to heaven and we're trying to get through without being sunk. And what Satan comes and does is he pokes holes in the hull of the ship and bit by bit with each lie that he brings into our life, a new little hole is formed bit by bit. And some of them are bigger than others. Some of them are just pinpricks. But slowly but surely, as the lies come into our life, water starts to get into our boat. Things start to get a bit soggy. Things start to get a bit wet. The structural integrity of our boat is damaged. And so as the lies come in, the water starts to rise. And most often it's slowly. We don't realize it at first. We don't realize that the lies are coming in and that we're actually started to follow something that's not God's truth. And then it gets higher and higher and higher. And we only start to notice it when things are really starting to go wrong. And then almost it feels like it's too late. You see, the lies of Satan stream into our lives at an alarming rate, indirectly and directly. They come in through the the plot lines of movies that we watch, through the storyline in the TV shows through the narrative and the, and the culture that is breathed in through radio and the news media, through the charismatic university lecturer or a plausible blog post. The lies of Satan and the deceptions come indirectly directly through friends that we may have or the mums group. They come in through the scoffing of our colleagues at work or even from theologians who have disbanded their way of following the word of God. And bit by bit, the lies come into our life and they start to make us soggy and wet and they hamper our joy, they hamper our flotation and they start to ruin our lives. He whispers smooth and doubtful questions and they start to lodge themselves in our heart. You see, for some of us, brothers or sisters, you're weary and you're confused. You hear the messages of the sermon, but they don't seem to change your life. You think, why can't I just get my act together? Why isn't my marriage working? Why isn't my parenting working? Why isn't my sexuality working? Why isn't my life going the way I want it to go? And yes, we often say, of course, our sin is involved. No one's disputing that in our church. But one of the things that we don't often talk about is the way in which lies of Satan, deceptive plots, either directly or indirectly, are piercing holes in our Christian boat and causing our lives to go stale and wet and soggy. You see, as we base our accidentally base parts of our lives not on the truth of God's word, we allow Satan to attack us and win. I've experienced this in my own life. As an early parent, I began to drift away from what the Bible had to say about um, how to raise children. I started to believe that being an authority in the home was being an authoritarian. I started to believe that physically disciplining your children was emotionally scarring them. And I started to believe that they weren't sinning, they were just developing. These kind of lies come in, they're just little pinpricks at first. But bit by bit, as you buy into them and give them room, they start to fill your boat. And what we experienced was that our parenting wasn't going well. Things weren't going right, and we couldn't figure out why because we believed the Bible, but we were also believing lies. We had fundamentally let our feet get soggy. And I believe that there's a very real chance that for many of us, through distorted worldviews and expectations, we've allowed the same thing to happen. And so what ended up, what needed to happen in my life was I needed the truth of God. And I needed to be humble enough to submit to that truth in order to protect me from Satan. You see, I had people in my life speaking the truth, but I wasn't humble enough to actually seek counsel and properly listen. And it wasn't until the Lord humbled me and the incontrovertible word of God spoke to my soul that I was able to start bailing the water out of the bottom of the boat and start to dry out again. You see, we, we realize that the Bible really says whoever spares the rod hates his son, but who, he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whereas I'd started to believe that if you spanked your child, so to speak, you hated them. But the Bible said the opposite. Where did that come from? How did that psychology come in and affect me? Well, yes, it's my sin. But yes, it's Satan. These psychological untruths destroy lives from the inside out. And the only, or the the protective measure that the God has given us is this. We need to strap on the belt of truth around our waist constantly and daily if we are to have any protection against the lies of the enemy. Do you see the need for truth in your life? You see, we often talk about the need, you know, or how do you strap on the belt of truth? Okay. Read your Bible. Okay. And obviously every sermon ends with read your Bible and everything will be okay. Um, But that's not the point. The point is never just to read your Bible. Because reading your Bible doesn't do anything in and of itself. Reading your Bible is not magic. If you sit there and read your Bible all day, nothing will magically happen. The Bible contains within it the truth about God. And so when you humbly submit yourselves to the truths of God, that is what protects you and changes you and transforms your life. Merely reading the Bible is not putting on the belt of truth humbly submitting to the truth within the bible is what it means to strap on the belt of truth around your waist you see in the bible it contains the only reliable information we have in this world the bible contains the only reliable information we have in this world everything else can be contaminated by sin and error and bias and ideologies but the word of god is truth it has been refined by god and it is his mind and his revelation and so we beat the drum of read your bible because contained within it is a shield is a protective measure against the lies of this world and it's not just a verse a day It's it's knowing the word from front to back. It's knowing the worldview of the Bible, the idea of the Bible, the whole scope and arc of the Bible. So that when the lies come in, in the form of a worldview, in the form of a plausible sounding idea, you can smell a rat. You see, how do you tell if something's a lie or if something's true? How do you spot a counterfeit idea? It used to be in the banking world. I don't know if it still is today, but when they were training the bank tellers how to tell which notes were counterfeit and which notes were true, they just made them study the, the authentic notes from the treasury. So for the people that worked in banks, the way that they figured out what was a lie and what was true was not by assessing all the lies, but by spending all their time figuring out what the truth really was. And by knowing the truth inside and out, they could easily spot the forgeries and the fakes. And brothers and sisters, that's what we must do if we want to protect ourselves. Because Satan will bring lie after lie after lie, deception after deception. He'll just change it. He'll just change it tomorrow and it'll be another thing. It'll be another thing. And so we can never know all the lies, but we can know the truth. So brothers and sisters, may I encourage you, May I plead with you? Study the Word of God. May it be bread to your soul. May it be sweet honey to your lips. Because contained in the Word of God is the truth about God. So that when particular issues arise in the world, your instinct is to ask, but what does the Bible have to say about this? I have my feelings, I have my Facebook feed, I have my friends but what does the Bible have to say about this issue? And not just what does the Bible have to say, because you can make the Bible say anything. What does all the Bible have to say that supports this view? And what does all the Bible have to say which rejects this view? That's how we strap on the belt of truth to fight against the lies. We need to be well-rounded, balanced, and biblical in our perspective. Because people can make the Bible say whatever they want. And so we need to be able to fight it with the full counsel of God. In fact, isn't that what Satan did to Jesus? He took particular verses and used them to try and make him sin. Do not be surprised if Satan uses the Bible to trick you. We need to be men and women who gird up our loins, is the, is the old KJV version, strengthen our inner core with truth otherwise pin hole by hole our boat is getting filled with murky dirty water and it destroys our christian life from the inside out and i don't want that for you i don't want that for me i don't want that for my family so brothers and sisters strap on the belt of truth and stand so that you may fight and win in the midst of this dangerous spiritual battle that's point number one strap on the belt of truth point number two put on the breastplate of righteousness read verse 14 with me again stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness you see, the Roman soldier would wear when going into battle a, um, a, an iron-coated breastplate that went from basically his navel, where the belt was, um, up to his neck and around and all the way around to the back. And you'd be crazy to go out into a war zone without a breastplate on, okay? Because, you know, arrows are coming, spears are coming at you, knives, daggers, everything are coming. And so the breastplate would actually protect Um, not just your body from wounds, but your most vital organs. Um, And that was the point of the breastplate. Because obviously if you get stabbed in the heart or the gut, you're done for. You're not going to survive. And so Paul uses this image of the the breastplate that protects the most vital organs um, to say that as Christians, we need a breastplate of righteousness to protect our most vital organs. And biblically speaking, um, the way the Bible views us is that our most vital organ in our body, spiritually speaking, is our heart. And so Paul commands us to equip ourselves with a breastplate of righteousness to protect our hearts. You see, the heart, biblically speaking, is the center of our being. From our heart come our thoughts and our passions and our desires. What our heart is fixed upon is what we worship. And it's what we do. Wherever your heart is, there is your worship. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to influence and change our hearts. He wants to pierce our hearts and set them after things that are not of God. So our hearts are vulnerable. Our hearts are easily swayed by scrolling through on Facebook by the TV and the things that we watch, by our friendships, by what's happening at work, by the opportunities that are before us. And so as a result, there's a dire need for us to protect our hearts with righteousness. You see, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence for from it, flow the springs of life keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life if we keep our hearts and we protect our hearts we actually enable ourselves to grow and to live and to flourish but if you lose your heart and you give it away to false gods or false dreams or false aspirations you give away the spring of your life and you will result in shrivel and potentially complete destruction. So how do we put on this breastplate of righteousness? What does this mean practically? I think two things. Two ways that we put on this breastplate of righteousness. Number one, by knowing and meditating on the righteousness we already have through faith in Christ and letting that comfort us and control us. We put on the breastplate of righteousness by praying and thinking and meditating upon the righteousness we already have in Christ. You see, when you sin and you will sin today and you will sin tomorrow and Satan will want to rub your face in your sin, he will want you to be condemned. He will want you to be overly overwhelmed in your sin. And what we need to do is, in our sin, put on the breastplate of righteousness by looking up to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for that sin. When Satan looks at you and says, you are such a failure. You are terrible. God doesn't love you. How could God love you? Look at what you just did. You reply, yes, I am a failure. I am despicable but my God loves me because he sent his son to die in my place for my sins. And I put my faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore I am righteous. No matter what I just did, no matter what I've done in the past, I am righteous because Christ is righteous for me. We don't need to pep ourselves up with, you know, self esteem and self, you know, help and like, You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're incredible. You don't need to say that to yourself because you're not, you know, Jesus is. um, And because of Jesus, you can be, but in and of yourself, when Satan wants to rub your face in your sin, agree with him and go to the cross. Paul says this in Philippians chapter three, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith. When Satan comes to attack our righteousness, don't depend on your good works, depend on his. Strike back at the evil one with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been fully applied to your account. And sing the song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's how you apply. One way you apply the breastplate of righteousness by wearing the righteousness of Christ and meditating on his righteousness. The second way we apply the breastplate of righteousness is by living righteously. We apply the breastplate of righteousness by living righteously. You see, Paul's whole argument in chapters four through five is that because of what Christ has done, we need to live new lives. We need to put off the old self and put on the new self. And so we protect ourselves from Satan by living that new life, by not giving him an inch in our armor to shoot an arrow through. But righteousness and integrity actually sends Satan away. He has bounces off the breastplate, so to speak. So we put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we put on our own righteousness, and that protects us from the evil one. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 again. Paul says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Verse 26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You see, righteousness is practical. Righteousness is warfare. By living righteously and making that decision not to sin, you are practicing spiritual warfare and giving the devil no opportunity to send you away from Christ. In the middle of this dangerous spiritual war, we need to stand and put on our spiritual armor, the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness and our practical righteousness so that we can fight and win against the schemes of the devil. Are you wearing your breastplate of righteousness, brothers and sisters? Are you going to Christ when you sin? And going back to the cross are you wallowing in despair and shame and are you seeking to put off the old self and put on the new because if you're not you are giving an opportunity to the devil and he will destroy you he has no mercy he's seeking someone to devour and by not putting on righteousness you leave yourselves open to his attack that's point number two Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And finally, point number three, put on the boots of gospel peace. Read verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So Paul goes, you know, you've got this belt that we're meant to put on, truth, breastplate, which protects us, and then the final one in, in today's sermon is the boots of readiness. Um, now, the Roman soldier would actually sort of strap on these leather sandals that were studded um, down the bottom and they had a, a thick sole, um, but they were actually quite versatile. they were quite a good running shoe. And so when they were in the middle of a battle, they could tread on things and not cut their feet, but they could also run, they could crouch, they could fight, um, they could do a whole bunch of things because of the, the, the good footwear that they had. So Paul's using this image of this versatile footwear um, and, to, and to say for the Christian, we need footwear like this. And the footwear that we have is the gospel of peace. See, the gospel of peace is both defensive and offensive. The gospel is obviously the good news that Jesus Christ has conquered Satan's sin and death and is the king of this world and that through his death on the cross and resurrection, we can have new life in him. And so defensively, we put on the gospel, like we said in the point before, and it protects us from the lies of the enemy, who would want us to disbelieve the gospel and change the gospel. But also the gospel has this offensive element. It has this ability to go out and into the enemy territory. You see, the shoes that the Roman soldiers were wearing were not just for defense, but for offense so that they could go into any terrain and fight. And this is really where I think that um, this piece of armour goes offensive because of the, the nature of where Paul's drawing this image from. You see, the image of the gospel, the boots of gospel peace actually goes back to Isaiah chapter 52. Um, and, and let's see the context here. Isaiah chapter 52 says this, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news out of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see the word gospel there means good news. So he's saying you've got good news feet, just like the messengers did back in Isaiah. And in that context, what that was saying is that when um, Israel had been taken over by the Babylonians, Um, And after they, the Israelites were coming home because they were given freedom to go back to their land. They sent forth heralds to go to Jerusalem first and declare and cry out, our God has saved us. We're coming home. Freedom is here. And it would be a declaration to the Babylonians who were living in Jerusalem, um, to the guards, to the warriors, that Israel was going to be back in the hands of the Israelites. And so they were publishing good news and they were crying it out into enemy territory Um, from the foothills and from the mountains. So Paul takes this image and says that one of the ways in which we are to fight as Christian soldiers is to strap onto our feet the gospel and run into enemy territory and start to proclaim to everyone the good news that Jesus is king, that there is peace for all those who have come against him. You see, in wartime mentality, if you're on the wrong team, and the enemy and your the other team comes through, if you don't surrender to the king as he comes, you're going to be wiped out and destroyed. And that's where the Bible goes. The Bible wraps up with King Jesus descending on the clouds of heaven, drawing a sword from his mouth and riding on the white horse. It finishes with the world being judged by him, and there is no mercy at that point. And so our calling as Christian soldiers, men and women in the battlefield, the spiritual warfare is to go out before King Jesus comes and declare to the lost people, peace, God reigns, and that there is hope of salvation. We fight against Satan, not just by standing still in defensive position. We fight against Satan by going into his enemy territory and rescuing lost souls who are perishing, who are under his command, as Ephesians chapter 2 says. Who is someone that you know and love that is in enemy territory? Who is someone that needs to know Jesus is king? Who is someone that needs to be told Peace with the king is possible if you repent and believe. Who is someone in your life that you need to strap on the boots of gospel peace, run out into enemy territory, protected with all the spiritual armor, and tell them the message of the gospel? Because if we don't, well, the Bible says that they are condemned because they haven't trusted in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, verse 14 and 15 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You can have beautiful feet this week by declaring peace to those who are far from god that is spiritual warfare as well going into enemy territory and we mustn't shy away from this we mustn't be afraid we mustn't shrink back into the christian ghetto we must go out and publish peace to all those who are far off and if there's anyone listening here this morning who is far off from christ You're not really following him. If he was to descend upon the earth right now, you wouldn't be sure that he would meet you as a friend. Can I implore you? Make peace with the King. Make peace with the Lord Jesus Christ. Bow your knee, swear allegiance to him, and he will take you in as a friend, not as a slave or not as a prisoner. The beauty of Jesus Christ is that he is so merciful and kind that even though he's the king of the universe, he gives grace to the lowliest of rebels. And that can be you this morning. Don't miss this opportunity to take upon yourself the peace that Jesus is offering you. Do it today before it's too late. So in the middle of this dangerous spiritual war, we need to stand, put on our spiritual armor so that we can fight and win. Point number three was, is that we need to put on the boots of gospel peace to stand in the truths of the gospel defensively and to go out with the truths of the gospel offensively into enemy territory. Put on, then, my friends, the boots of gospel peace. Don't leave them in the cupboard. So if brothers and sisters, friends and those who are listening, there is a thief out there. He wants to rob us. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. And he wants to destroy. And it is no myth. What are you going to do to protect yourselves against him? What are you doing practically this week? in order to have your full armor on so that you can stand against the schemes. Perhaps you might need to think through, of those three pieces of armor, which one do I neglect the most? Maybe where where is there a miss in my spiritual protective equipment? Perhaps you need to think deeply upon the truths of God again and gird up your, your waist with the belt of truth. You really need to give yourself to study. You need to submit yourself to the word of God. Perhaps, you know, there's an area of your life where you've, you've begun to drift away from the truths of the Bible. Maybe you need to ask someone in and say, Hey, I'm thinking through this issue. I don't know if I've got it right. Can you help me see what the Bible has to say? That's spiritual warfare. Perhaps for you, you know, there's an area of sin in your life where you are not putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And you're letting the enemy shoot you in the heart. May I encourage you, confess your sins to the Lord and then confess your sins to your brothers and sisters and put on that armor and fight together. Or perhaps you've become lazy or um, you haven't been sharing the gospel of peace. You've lost heart for those who are in the enemy territory. And you need to pray for boldness You need to put on those boots and you need to go for a run and tell someone that peace is possible in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I pray and ask that you would strengthen us, that we may fight. Lord, would you kit us up with your armour so that when the day of evil comes, we may be able to stand our ground and after we've done everything, to stand. Firm. lord would you please put on us as a church the belt of truth may we know truth love truth and hate any distortion of truth would you put on us the breastplate of righteousness that we would know the righteousness we have in christ and we would love to live righteously and have no area where satan can have an opportunity to come in and ruin And would you put on us the boots of gospel peace? Would we know peace in our hearts? And would we publish peace to those who are far from you? Would you protect us as a church so that we would love you all the more? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.